<clears throat> going to turn again this evening to 1 John chapter 1. The first epistle of John chapter 1. Thank the men who prayed this evening, brothers, stoked the fire all week long, and it will change the way we worship. <clears throat> now, we're going to read verses 9 through 11 again. Tonight, having done two messages of exposition, going to attempt to make some application that will be useful to us. There is so much that I've chosen to focus on just a few while mentioning others and passing on. But I want our minds to be filled with the fact that the idea of loving one another as Christ has loved us is immense it is beyond our ability to comprehend all of it and to do it perfectly but as we've said many times that doesn't give us license not to give it everything we've got you've been given the spirit you've been given a new heart you're a new creature and while no good thing dwells in your flesh, the very Spirit of Christ Jesus does. And uh, he has given you all the gifts to walk with him. He doesn't cheat any of his children of what they need to obey him. Now, that being said, if you'll stand, we'll read those words together. These precious and beautiful words of God. More desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. All the silver, the gold, and the treasures of this world cannot compare to these precious words. 1 John chapter 1, beginning in, uh, I said chapter 1, that is not correct. It's chapter 2. Beginning in verse 8, I'm going to back up just a little bit. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother, is in darkness, even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth. Because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. Amen. Father in heaven, I thank thee for thy son. O Christ Jesus, great shepherd, feed thy sheep this evening. We ask it in thy holy name. Amen. Please be seated.
John, the son of thunder, learned much from Christ Jesus in the years that he walked with that precious Lamb of God. As the disciple whom Jesus loved, he experienced, understood, and preached the love that God manifested in Christ. An eyewitness, an earwitness, one so close to Christ that he could lean on his bosom. John also wrote about that great love in his gospel, his letters, and the apocalypse. And what is the source of that love? We may trace it here. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God. Notice, he doesn't say, he that loveth not um, is missing something. He doesn't say, he's in trouble. He says, he doesn't know God. Because he doesn't know the source of love. Doesn't know him personally. He that loveth not, knoweth not God. It's also clear that he isn't saying, doesn't know about him. Christ Jesus, before his Dreadful crucifixion said that life eternal is knowing God. In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. The Son came to die so that we might live. Focus your heart on that because that's the love of God manifested. He came to die that we might live. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if... God so loved us. If God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Now we may follow the trail of love that was just set before us. We can get at the beginning and we can walk right down this trail and see where love comes from, and what it ought to conclude with. Love is from God, John tells us, because God is love. <clears throat> to proclaim that God is love is to speak of his divine nature. It is to speak of his essence. His he manifested his love by sending his only begotten son into our world of darkness and death. His love is not something that sits inert. It is not something that sits inactive. God does something. Because he is love. So great was God's love that he turned away his own wrath by pouring it out on his son. Making him a propitiation for us. That wonderful appeasement 
that sacrifice which turns away wrath. Now with that burning in his mind, John concludes, Beloved, if God so loved us. He's just described what it is. It describes what he is and it describes what he does because he is. If God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Every one that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God. So John obviously learned much. He learned much, taught much, lived much because he loved much. He learned it from the Master. You should read the Gospel of John carefully and then read the letters and you will see what John learned. So much of his letter came right from the glorious lips of his Christ. That models for us real discipleship. If we say we know God, there should be reflection of his love in our lives. Let us learn much. Let us be taught much. And then may we teach much and love much. So for that reason, we've been considering John's contrast between light and darkness, love and hate. The title of this message is Loving or Hating Christ's People, Part 3. May the God of love reveal the Son of His love and shed abroad His love in our hearts through the Spirit of love. Now we left off last time with the definition and description of love itself. I want to take up there, spend a few minutes on the definition and the description and then we will begin to make some applications. I trust that will be, if nothing else, something that sparks your mind to think deeply about how your life should look. Christ and his word are always the mirror. So this is loving or hating Christ people, part three. And we begin with the definition and description of love itself. Now, as it is commonly used today, love generally means liking or wanting someone or something. In that sense, it is usually rooted in selfishness, self-gratification, Self-indulgence. In a culture that says, I love my iPad. I love chocolate. I love hamburgers. I love my goldfish or my dog. It is sometimes difficult to appreciate then that God is love. It's hard for us to kind of bring those concepts together. Not saying that they can never, ever work together. But one of them minimizes the grandness of the other. It should be obvious. It should be obvious that if we have a distorted view of love, if we have a little view of love, we will have distorted and little views 
of God's love and of loving one another. Does that not make sense? Is love, if love is a word that you just throw around about everything, it's hard for us to imagine that in some way we can see the bigness of it in God and in our lives. By the way, this is not new. Jacob loved Esau's venison. So we can love things, we can love people, but we need to understand that there's a diminutive way of thinking about love, a little way of thinking about love, and there's an immense way of thinking about love. And that should always be in our thinking when we think that God is love. And that we are to love one another. Love is both a noun and a verb. Which means it is both a thing and an action. And in the scriptures, especially when we're talking about God. There is no divorce between the thing and the action. In other words, you can use the word love all day long. But if you don't live the love to which God calls you, your love is nothing. Mouth love doesn't go far. Doesn't take long to figure out. It's just talk. So, noun, verb, a thing, a state, a condition that always acts, always does. It's right there in the passage that we read. God loved us and sent his son. Why? Because he is love. He is love. And that love is not inert. That love goes out. It does something. It is action. So, for us, in the, the condition, our finite and sinful condition, we often understand love more clearly by seeing what it does rather than simply defining what it is. So let's talk about the definition briefly. Four Greek words can be translated into the English love. Only two of those Greek words appear in the New Testament. Philia, which is the noun verb, the noun form, and phileo, which is the verb form, same word. <clears throat> that speaks of the attitude of friendliness towards one who is friendly towards you. Agape, I'm sure everyone here has heard that word. That's the noun form, and agapao is the verb form. Notice that the Lord has given to us in a noun and a verb, something and action. <clears throat> and those two, those two forms of that word are not based on selfish desire, but on selfless giving selfless giving it is not for selfish gratification but for the well-being of others it is always outward it is always towards the well-being of others in the new testament these two words share they share a total range 
of loving relations between people, between people and God, and between God and Jesus, Father and Son. It is interesting, though, that the New Testament scriptures never command God's people to love one another with philia or phileo. That word is never used when it comes to loving one another. It is always agapao and agape. So again, we appeal to Paul's words in Romans 13. The word of God teaches us what real love is. Paul defines it this way, or at least describes it. Owe no man anything but to love one another. This is the verb. It should be action. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. The law is the standard of God's righteousness. When we love like God, we magnify and manifest the righteousness of God. True love is righteous. It's not foul, stinking, fleshly. It is holy and clean and pure action for the well-being of others. Paul goes on to say, For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet, if there be any other commandment. It is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Second table of the law. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Notice the word worketh. Verb. All right. What does it work for them? What action comes out of the love that originates with God was manifested in Christ and granted unto us by the power of his spirit and the light of his word? What does that work what does that word mean and what is its work? Well, it says, love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Love doesn't work any ill. It doesn't do wickedly toward its neighbor. It doesn't do bad things to its neighbor. And it should be nipped in the bud by not thinking bad things about our neighbor. One theologian defines God's love this way. <clears throat> he says, God's love is, quote, his self-giving affection, his self-giving affection for his image-bearing creatures and his unselfish concern for their well-being that leads him to act on their behalf and for their happiness and welfare. Now, that's worth repeating. God's love, Christian love, is his self-giving affection for his image-bearing creatures and his unselfish concern for their well-being. We can be really concerned about people for purely selfish reasons. This is not that. It is something that is focused outside. It arises here. It sees and desires the well-being of the other. In fact, 
the very giving of yourself may cost you dearly. But it will be for their well-being. That's God's love shining brightly. That sounds like Jesus. That love leads him to act on their behalf. To act on their behalf. And for their happiness and welfare. It's for them. It's for them. Our love should reflect God's love. It is therefore our self-denying, self-sacrificing, others-oriented act of treating others according to God's law at our expense for their well-being. Real love costs. It does. Very often, real love is not appreciated. That's why you don't do it for thanks. You don't do it to be appreciated. You do it because it's good for them. Selfless love does not come natural to us. Does not come naturally to us. So I will repeat that again. Our love should reflect God's love. Okay. It's not going to be perfect. Right? We understand that. But that does not mean we should not do all that we can to soak up God's love and pour it out on others. It is our self-denying, self-sacrificing, others-oriented act of treating others according to God's law at our expense for their well-being. Now take just one example. This is just one example. Lying. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Now, that's God's righteous ninth commandment. <clears throat> Proverbs 26, verse 8 says, A lying tongue hateth those that are afflicted by it. It's amazing that people are outraged at the thought of adultery, and they're not outraged by a lie. Unless there's some good political purpose or unless it really causes some serious damage, which in one way or the other, a lie always does. Satan is the father of it. God is not the author of any lie ever. The lying tongue hateth those that are afflicted by it. Children, when you lie to your parents, at that point, you hate them. That's what God says. You hate them. Now, we can say the same thing to believers. We're to reflect our Father's love if we lie to or lie about a brother. At that point, we're in darkness. We hate them. Well, let's consider the description then for just a few moments. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, a passage probably everyone here knows well. That, that passage tells us what love should look like in us. If, if we're talking about that extraordinary nature of God that's called Love, what should it look like reflected through our little prisms? The authorized version uses the word charity in this passage. And since love is of God, then we may conclude 
that these are all manifestations of God's love. This is what love is. Now, if I can say it this way, this is what, God, what love does. It is and it does. They're not separated. If you are born of God, the Spirit of God, who is God, who is love, dwells within you. You cannot remain inert. You cannot just lie there and say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Without there being God's love manifested in your thoughts, your words, and your deeds. Hands and feet, God's blood-bought purchase for doing good to others, sacrificing ourselves for the well-being of others. That's God's love. So this chapter is talking about love, and it has to be, by its very nature, what God is and what God does. We need to learn from it. And of course, uh, we do not have time to do an exposition of this beautiful chapter. But I will say this. Jonathan Edwards says this about the word charity as we launch into that. <clears throat> he says, quote, Charity we find abundantly insisted on in the New Testament by Christ and his apostles. And indeed, there is no virtue so much insisted on by them. But the word charity, as it is used in the New Testament, is of much larger extent than as it is used in common discourse, our common language. What persons very commonly mean and understand by charity in their common conversation is a disposition to hope and think the best of persons. Did you ever think of charity like that? I sure wasn't taught that. Charity is just what you do for the poor. But the original notion of this word is remarkable. It is a disposition to hope. It is part of who and what you are to think in this way. There's a disposition. There is a an aspect of who and what you are to think the best of persons. I won't ask if any of you have won a medal for doing that. <clears throat> and I will tell you, I've never won one. But we ought to be thinking in those terms. Do, do, do I want to think the best about persons and to put a good construction on their words and behavior oh we can always find the evil in it we can always find the mistakes in it instead of hoping the best and desiring the best and do what we can to build and encourage them in the best And sometimes, Edwards continues, it is used for a disposition to give to the poor. That's how I always understood it. And that's the way it's used generally in our culture. But these things are only certain particular branches or fruits of that great virtue of charity, which is so much insisted on in the New Testament. In other words, he's not throwing that idea out. He's just saying that's part of the branch. That's not the tree. That's not the trunk. The words properly or the word properly signifies love or that disposition or affection by which one is dear to another. The word agape in the original, which is translated charity, might as well have been rendered love, for this is the proper English of it. So that charity in the New Testament is the very same. As Christian love. Close quote. 
So when you read John 13 in the, the authorized version, when you read 1 Corinthians 13 in the authorized version, every time you read charity, you should say Christian love. The kind of love I ought to be manifesting. Well, <clears throat> so the first thing we're told about it then in that uh, chapter is that it suffereth long. <laughs> I like that a whole lot better than the word patient. I just do because it's true. <laughs> if you have to put up with someone who's rubbing against your grain, it's long suffering. <clears throat> it isn't just being patient. It's learning how to suffer long. That's what God's love does or all of us would be in hell right now. God suffered long with us before he opened our hearts. We came into this world sinning. He could have dropped us into hell out of the womb before we started being his enemy until he conquered us. <clears throat> God's love suffereth long, therefore, so should ours. And we should do that for the well-being of our brethren. That would be Christian love. That would be loving one another. Being patient with that brother that's just like nails on the chalkboard. Or sister. This is equal, equal opportunity preaching here. To demonstrate patient despite difficulties is the actual definition here of the word. To demonstrate patience, long-suffering, despite difficulties. Now, it's easy for us to be patient with some people. <laughs> Everybody is looking at me so intensely. It's difficult to be patient with some people. But the purpose of love is to manifest for their well-being. Long-suffering. For them, not for you. Self-denying, self-sacrificing, others-oriented. <clears throat> By the way, uh, at least one commentator said that the word could mean long-tempered as opposed to short-tempered. <laughs> we, we all know people that we may have said, well, you know, Aunt Gertie, she's short-tempered. Or Uncle Fritz. I don't think any of us have one of those. So I don't think I've stepped on anybody. Suffering long. Suffering long. For their well-being. That's Christian love. <clears throat> kind. To provide something beneficial for someone as an act of kindness. Doing something for them. Strictly as Kindness. I want to do a kindness to build them up. When my beloved had her carotid artery surgery, uh, I was deeply blessed, humbled, and encouraged at those who said, can we come over and cook for you? Can't come over? Can we cook and bring it over to you? Can we come over to your house and clean it up? That was kindness. Now, lost people can do that. What's the difference? Well, lost people also from time to time reflect the fact that they're made in the image of God, even if they don't believe in God. But the primary difference is it's not just a convenience, but it's what you must do for their benefit. For their benefit. For their benefit. <clears throat> Scripture in Ephesians chapter 4 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. That's a list. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind 
one to another. A true kindness is the opposite of being full of bitterness toward someone. So bitterness is a cancer. Fast growing and it's usually fatal. <clears throat> Be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as Christ, as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Oh, we're back at that notion. God's love, what it produced, and we're to do the same thing. God forgave us in Christ. God washed away our wickedness, our bitterness, our wrath, our anger, our clamor, our evil speaking, our malice. He washed it away in Christ. Now he says, now you, you Christians, you, you Ephesians that were formerly pagans, you didn't know anything about the love of God. Now you do. It's the love of God in Christ. What did he do for you? He brought the gospel to you. He brought the good news of his son who died on Calvary's cross for Jews and Gentiles. You're in the picture. You didn't have God's covenants, he told them. You were strangers to the covenants of promise, but he sent his son to you. Now, live like that. Live like that. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. A, a professing Christian who will not forgive is either on the edge of darkness or he is in darkness as male or female <clears throat> in darkness lost and on the way to hell with Jesus in his mouth but not in his heart or her heart. This is a serious matter, brethren. You love God's children or you hate them. Charity envieth not. Christian love does not envy. Christian love does not envy. Wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous. But who's able to stand before envy? Says Proverbs 27.4. Envy. Pilate knew that the Pharisees, that the Jews brought Jesus for him to crucify because of envy. Envy in the Gentiles. Envy in the Jews were the mechanics that put Christ on the cross. Oh, envy. I'll tell you, pastor after pastor that goes to a conference and sits through four or five other guys preaching, he's either struggling with his pride, I can do better than that, or his envy. Oh, I wish I could say it like that. It's not Christian love. It's not Christian love. Charity vaunteth not itself. And we don't talk like that nowadays. Oh, you vaunteth. And you came in this morning. We don't say that. But it's a good word. It means to behave as a braggart. I'm really something. But I'm humble about it. To behave as a braggart. I mean, there's some people when you get around them, it just doesn't matter. The list starts. Oh, I have this. I have that. I bought this. I've got this now. And I have, you know, and I did this and I won this medal. And I've got all these trophies. They're going to burn. They're going to melt. They're going to be nothing when the Lord burns up this earth. Absolutely less than nothing. Non-existent. If there's such a thing as less than nothing. I'm pretty, I'm handsome, I'm intelligent, I'm educated, I'm 
making a big paycheck. There's so many things you can be proud and boastful and arrogant about. And, and I can tell you without, without any hesitation, pride loves to hide under religious rags. Now, when it, when it talks about l Christian love doesn't vaunt itself, it doesn't push itself forward, this speaks of an inordinate desire to call attention to oneself. It can be really obvious with some people. I mean, just an immediate, ooh. But with others, it can hide really well. And you don't realize that what you're hearing is you're being drawn to them. <laughs> it's just their pride. The next, the next aspect of charity is the same. Is not puffed up. The idea here is pride and arrogance. Philippians chapter 2 verses 2 through, uh, two through 4 says, Fulfill ye my joy. Paul says, All right, y'all. Make me happy. Make me happy. How can we do that? That you be like-minded. Oh. Can you suggest something else? Oh, fulfill my joy. Be ye like-minded. That means I have to examine what I think and figure out whether I'm actually right about what I think. And then I have to objectively, for that person's well-being, put the best spin on what I think they think. Do you believe that? Do you practice that? Be like-minded. That's really tough. Yes, it is. It's impossible without the Holy Spirit. It's impossible without a new heart. It's impossible unless we so bask in and commune with that glorious God who is love. We're not going to strive for like-mindedness. In fact, some people really know how to hijack this. Yes, I'm striving for like-mindedness. I'm trying to get everybody to agree with me. He goes on, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. I tell you, with every fiber of my being, Satan sets himself against that in every real congregation. And he will find a good cause to destroy anything that looks like like-mindedness. Let nothing be done. Come on, Paul, give us a little wiggle room here. Let nothing be done through strife uh -oh. or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. You don't do that naturally. I don't do that naturally. We can only do that when we know that love, the love of God, the love of God in Christ Jesus, the precious blood that cleanses me, the glorious resurrection that guarantees my resurrection, your resurrection. Brethren, listen carefully. Don't do anything with a haughty mind, but in lowliness of mind, let each Esteem other better than themselves. Okay, I think I've got a pretty good case here. How much credence do I have to give to his or hers? All that you can. Because love hopes all things, believes all things, endures all things. That's God's love. And we're to manifest it. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. That's the love of God oozing out. Don't you see it? 
Look not every man on his own things, his own situation, his, <laughs> his own sorrows, or his own troubles, or his, just his own stuff in his own little ministry. But every man also on the things of others. And why? Not to make you feel good about yourself. In fact, you might not. In fact, they might not even feel good about you. But you do it because it's God's love. Every day, he makes the sun shine on the wicked just like he does on his people, the righteous. Every day. And it's for their benefit. Their wheat can grow right next to the righteous man's field. In fact, he may be troubling the righteous man, put a blight on his wheat, and let the rich man have the best harvest he's ever had. But we need to love with other people in view for their well-being, not necessarily for us. What should be pumping and motivating in our heart is, Lord, did that, did that honor you? <laughs> well, what I just did, did that look like your love? I want that to look like your love. I want that to feel like your love. I want that to image like your love. And they might not even care. But I still want it that way anyway. Because that's what brings the glory to God. If you're just doing it for people to go, oh, you're so wonderful. It's like, well, thank you. Maybe I am. Charity, Christian love, did not behave itself unseemly. That was very sweet. Somebody gave me a new clock. <laughs> Must have been a praying individual. Doth not behave itself unseemly. This means to behave shamefully or disgracefully or with ill-mannered impropriety. In other words, acting the wrong way in a certain circumstance. Ever done that? Might even have been a circumstance that you liked. But there was an impropriety. There was an improper act or word. Now, Christian, Christian love doesn't want to be shameful in the way it acts, in what it does for others. It shouldn't be with an ill-mannered impropriety. Christ's covenant community should love one another to, to such a degree there would begin to be a distaste for doing anything shameful. There should be something that builds. It may not come to you right away, but something that eventually says, you don't want to do that. Don't do that. That will not honor the Lord. Christ's covenant community should not act in shameful ways. Now let's remember, Paul's writing to the Corinthians. What was happening? People coming drunk to the Lord's Supper. Impropriety. Shameful. Disgraceful. But that's what they were doing. Thankfully, we've not had this. Some years ago, we did have a man who showed up been drinking. And I went to talk with him, and I hadn't been talking with him 30 seconds when that blast of alcohol came out of his mouth and his breath. And it was just, it didn't fit the picture. We were in the presence of a holy God. After the Lord had sobered him up and saved him before he got out the door, I would have been fine. But it wasn't. <clears throat> we can act shameful as Christians. Husbands and wives. I should be hearing a lot of amens here. <laughs> we do disgraceful things. We do shameful things as husbands and wives. We act impropriately. Uh, with impropriety in front of our children. <clears throat> we need to be quick to repent when we do that. I hope that we've developed enough inner alarm system that goes off and said, uh, you just dishonored the Lord Jesus in front of the children. 
Children, sit down. Dad's got to tell you something. That was always one of the hardest things for me to do. Sit down, put my children down. And I say, you just heard the way I spoke to your mom. Or you just heard the way I spoke to you. It did not warrant how I acted. Would you please forgive me? Christian love does not want to be shameful. And that's one of the ways we love our brethren. We don't do disgraceful things to them or in front of them because we want to build them up in love, in encouragement, filling them with joy. Encourage them in the walk. They might encourage you back. But we're too locked into ourselves, brethren. We don't come looking for what we can do for someone else. We're often coming for someone to do something for me. Now, it's perfectly okay when you are struggling and you come in the hopes of someone encouraging you in the things of Christ. It's always a footnote to most of these things. Well, love, Christian love, seeketh not our own. This means that love is not self-seeking. Remember, self-denial, self-sacrifice, others-oriented, it's all right there. Love is not self-seeking. I love you because I want you to love me back. I love you because that's the way God is. That should be our thinking. This is the way God is. Once again, remember, it is his essence. That essence cannot be still. (laughs) God's always active. I appreciate that a lot. He's always active. He's always at work. Jesus said while he was here on this planet, yep, I'm working and my father's working. He worked hitherto. And that action is love, grounded in love. Spending oneself for the benefit of others, even when they don't care. Even when they don't say thanks. Doing it because it brings glory to God, because it looks like him. That's it. There's the motive. It is what you are. It needs to go out. Would that change the way brothers and sisters look at each other and talk to each other? Would it change the way some husbands and wives interact? Would it change the way some parents and their children interact? It would change everything. Would it change the way we worship? Yes. It seeks not our own. It seeks its neighbor's good, not its own. Self-seeking is the opposite of Christian love. Should be others seeking. Well, my new clock is not my friend like the other one. So, Christian love is not easily provoked. We'll stop there. It's not easily provoked. Are you provoked easily? You'll say, well, maybe sometimes. But Christian love, if you want to love your brethren, you're going to have to learn (laughs) how not to be provoked by what they say and think and do. One of the big problems in any church, I don't care how good it is, there'll be clusters of people that just hang together and they almost become like an invincible fortress. Nobody comes in unless you're like us. And it's like, uh, no. Well, yeah, but that's a really irritating person. Now, I'm not talking about someone who's outwardly and obviously sinful. I'm not talking about that. 
I'm just talking about the fact that if someone professes to be God's child, we should be loving them with God's love. It won't look the same for everybody. It will not have the same effect on everybody. But God will always get the glory because it's like his love. That's the thing. It's his love. Have your friends. Have your circle, so to speak. But not just because that person provokes me. Christian love, what do you think it is? How have you been practicing it? How, how have you been thinking about it? It's commanded more than anything else. Love one another as I've loved you. And yet, you know, we're, we're spending all our time over here wailing against smoking. What are you talking about? How's your love gauge? Work on that before you work on somebody smoking. I'm not saying smoking is a great thing. I think it's a nasty, expensive habit. Dr. Lloyd-Jones, the first uh, years of his ministry smoked while he studied the Bible because it made him calm. Does that make it okay? No. And I won't tell you the story about Spurgeon cigars. That, that, that's all. You can look it up on the internet. There's a lot of funny stuff about it. But my point is, we focus on little stuff. Irritating little stuff. Minor issues. And if they're issues, they're issues. But that's where we put our thinking our strength our power we don't want that we want to give it to a love that wears itself out on god's people the kind of love that carried jesus christ through the city bleeding and stumbling under his cross we want that power that moves us out of the walls of the city and on to golgotha we want that power that lay down before his enemies. He let them nail him down. And it was for people that didn't care. People that would go to hell apart from God opening their hearts as love moving in them for their well-being. There it is. It's all in Christ. When we want to see God's love the most clearly that we can. When we want our minds stoked and kindled. Look at the cross. And see the love of God. The absolutely wonderful, glorious. Would he have a right to think evil of us? Uh, yes. Would he be right to be provoked with us? Yes. Would he be, would he be right to say, I've had it with these people. I want nothing to do with them. To hell with them all. Or did he give his greatest love in Jesus Christ on the cross? Brethren, that's what we need to reflect. Love one another as I have loved you, says our master. <clears throat> We will pick up here, God willing, next week. More things to consider. But if you want to know then, well, what's Christian love and what's Christian hate? Well, it's right here in front of you. Just take 1 Corinthians 13 and say, what am I doing here and what am I ignoring? How can I love my, my brothers and my sisters? Well, I need to look at this love and say, I know that thou hast given it to me in Christ. Show me how to show it. It is something that is not stagnant. 
It is something that is always active. May we know that wonderful move of God's Spirit, loving one another. Let's not walk in darkness. Let's walk in the light. For the glory of Christ. Amen. Thank you, Father, for your grace and mercy. What love thou hast shown us. It's overwhelming. Thou art love, and thou doest love. Help us do the same. Help us do the same for thy glory and for the good, the building up of thy people. In the name of Jesus, who loved us. Amen. All right, brethren, please stand. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work. It's good to hear that after a message like that. He's, he's determined to do that in us. So let's manifest it with all we've got. Working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let us go in the name of the one who loved us. Amen.